Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. These days, it seems like we have an issue with trust. It's far too easy not to trust people who are, quote-unquote, across the aisle from you, whatever side of the aisle you may be on. But today we're going to spend some time talking about what it takes not only to be someone who is more trusting, but also someone who is trustworthy. If you think society needs to be changed, if you would like to see more trust in society, make sure that you are someone who is trustworthy. So in our conversation today, we're going to be talking about the most important factors for trustworthiness, as well as which gender and which profession are perceived as the most trustworthy. We're going to get to more about that and our guests in just a second. But first... Do you want to accelerate your leadership success? There's a way you can do that for free, and it's called the MindScan. This assessment is an inventory based on the Nobel-nominated Hartman Value Profile, and it measures your capacity to make value judgments concerning you and the world around you. Instead of simply understanding how you behave, it objectively measures why you behave the way you do. Align your thinking strengths with your leadership goals by applying to take the MindScan today. All you need to do is apply by emailing community at lifeasleadership.com. You'll get a unique link and the opportunity to review your results. Both the assessment and review call are totally free. If you want to understand the how and why of your decision making, in order to more quickly get the results you want, the MindScan can be your next step to success. Once again, community at lifeasleadership.com. Now, on to today's interview. When it comes to trusted advisors, our guest literally wrote the book. He co-wrote the Trusted Advisor and its follow-up, the Trusted Advisor Field Book, and he also authored Trust-Based Selling. He's built trust-based business relationships of all types, and now he works with clients in accounting, consulting, wealth management, investment banking, commercial banking, systems development, law, and commercial real estate, using his unique tools and insights to build and maintain trusting and trustworthy relationships. Here is Charles Green. Charles, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Josh. Nice to be here. So I like to start off every interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. So you ready for these? Uh, Let's do it. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Let me see how fast I can do this. I had a formative experience in my late 20s. I was working for a management consulting firm went on a sales call with my boss. It was my first big thing. And after the pleasantries, the client pointed at me and he said, tell me, Mr. Green, what experience do you have doing marketing studies for industrial consumables? I didn't know what he meant and I was struggling. And and, uh, long story short, uh, my boss cut me off and said, no experience at all. What else would you like to talk about? It just struck me that, you know, direct, transparent honesty and the ego to be able to do that is a powerful thing, and I had never really appreciated it until then. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? 
Uh, let's see. A leader is, first of all, trusting and trustworthy. Second of all, a role model. And third, what I would call practically principled. They operate from principles, but they have the ability to apply those principles in the moment in a practical example. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? I would go with a question like, what's going on here? Uh, in other words, curiosity. I've, I've found or thought or come to believe that uh, curiosity is the, the number one virtue in, uh, in relationships in business. What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? You know, I have a hard time with that one. There's so many, but if I had to pick, Viktor Frankl's uh, Man's Search for Meaning. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? That one's easy. It would be do a better job of listening and listening of a, of a particular type, not to figure out a problem or uh, advance a sale, but listening as a sign of respect to the other person that authentically you know, validates who they are. So listening. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? <laughs> you're, uh, you're asking this of a former philosophy major. So from one level, I think the, the obvious answer is why not? Because that suggests kind of a, an attitude of possibility and, and potential. But on another level, I would think the better question is why? Because again, that goes back to curiosity. That's constantly wondering what's going on here? What's behind this? Why is this person saying this? Why is this person behaving this way? Uh, to get out of our own head and focus on what helps and motivates other people. Now, Charles, we are here today to talk about your writing and your thinking and the work that you've developed around trust. And I want to start off the conversation today with your first book that you co-wrote called The Trusted Advisor. Could you share a little bit about that and how you even came to write a book about trust? <laughs> Uh, the came to part is a little bit accidental. It's interesting. It was just fortuitous. I, I didn't write that book until I was 45. It was based a little bit on uh, 20 years experience in management consulting. Um, but it, it came up because um, I was working with a, another guy on a large project for Deloitte & Touche, uh, the big four accounting firm, being done through Columbia and Kellogg Business Schools. And uh, near the beginning of this gigantic program, uh, a faculty member who was supposed to fly in the night before and deliver a, a seminar on something or other missed his plane. And the client uh, in charge of this whole thing said to me and my partner, can you guys throw together tomorrow something quickly, half an hour, on the notion of a trusted advisor? And we said, sure, we can do that. And we threw together something, and it, it actually went pretty well. And he said, hmm, why don't you see if you can make that an hour next time? And then the next time it was an hour and a half, two hours. After a while, we realized we had a book. And in the rearview mirror, it all makes a lot of sense. The things that I'd been interested in all my career, the, the kinds of clientele and professions. Uh, I mean, the trusted advisor is exactly what it sounds like. Somebody who you have deep trust in. And, you know, we go on a lot to describe what that means. But that's what it's about. It's about how to be a trusted advisor to your customers, your clients, how, how one achieves that, that status, if you will. And I want to get into what that looks like in just a second. But as you've just described how you came to the development of this, this idea and eventually this book, it sounds like it was just a matter of a few hours. Was that aided by the fact that you're a philosophy major? Or what was it that got you to, to basically an entire book concept in just a few hours? 
Oh, that's a great question. It was it was a little bit the philosophy major thing, although that was kind of in, in deep background. I, I also had an MBA, went to Harvard Business School. So it was more immediately formed by kind of a practical perspective. How do you get things done? How do you influence other people? How do you become trusted? Uh, there were three of us on, on that book. Each of us had, you know, 15, 20 years experience in consulting at that point. And I think what grabbed all of us was how do you match up theory and practice? So it's actually a tremendously practical book. In fact, when we submitted it to the publishers, it got turned down initially because hmm. uh, at that time, the reigning business book paradigm was good to great. And it was a very database book. So all the publishers and the agents said, where's your data? And we said, well, it's really not a data book. It's kind of a wisdom book. And, uh, you know, there's 60 years of collective experience of mistakes. We made every mistake in the book. And we're here to tell you what they were and what we should have done. So you don't have to make the same mistakes. And uh, eventually, I mean, we ran across the third author, David Meister, who's the lead author. And, and, and David said, I'm kind of working on the same book. If you guys are willing to um, uh, make me the lead author because he'd already published two books. He says, then I'll, I'll make sure we get it published. So I thought for about a nanosecond and said, welcome, lead author. He picked up the phone. He called Simon & Schuster, and boom, we had, the, we had the book. So this is a book that emphasizes wisdom over data. What is some of the wisdom that can be distilled from the trusted advisor? <laughs> well, I, I like to think there's a lot of it. The importance of listening that we talked about before, not as a – as a data collection set, but as a, as a sign of respect. I think uh, the, the notion of the trust equation, a simple way of describing trustworthiness, there's a lot of paradoxical things about trust. Like you hear a lot of common myths, like trust takes time. It turns out it really doesn't. You know, There is a small area in which that's true, but mostly it's not. Or uh, trust takes, you know, years to build and only a moment to destroy. That's not exactly true either. Um, I could maybe list a few others, but th those I think are some of the highlights. And you just mentioned the trust equation. Could you define that a little bit more? Sure. One of the, uh, if you pick up the, the general press, you, you're bound to see headlines like trust in banking is down. And that is an unsatisfactory headline for the following reason. It doesn't tell you whether the underlying problem is a question of trustworthiness or of trusting. Like if it's, if it's Wells Fargo these days, I'd say that's a, that's a trustworthiness problem. They screwed up. But there are other areas where it's a failure for people to trust others. So the reason I mention that is that what we call the trust equation is actually the trustworthiness equation. It's only half the picture. Somebody has to lead off by trusting, and then the other party proves themselves either to be trustworthy or not. So the trust equation, very simply, is four variables, C plus R plus I, all divided by S. And that stands for credibility plus reliability plus intimacy all divided by self-orientation. The first two components, credible, reliable, those are you know pretty obvious for most of us. The, you can identify behaviors, you can collect data, you can get uh, uh, you know, certifications. Uh, the other two are much more uh, emotional, intimacy and, and self-orientation. Intimacy is basically like, do I feel safe and secure with you? Do I feel like I can share a certain confidence with you or not? And the self-orientation, the one in the denominator, basically says that the more you're wrapped up in yourself, the less trustworthy you are. 
Uh, in other words, the more uh, higher the self-orientation, you know, neurotically obsessed with yourself all the time. How am I doing? Am I going to get the sale? Is she going to like me? All that stuff kills uh, trustworthiness. On the other hand, if you can get out of your own head, if you have a strong enough ego to pay attention to other people, then you have low self-orientation and that increases trustworthiness. Now, if you are a trustworthy person, does the other part of this this whole trust issue, the other person's trust of you, do you earn that by being trustworthy or is there something else that you can do in order to help them get on board with your your vision and the work you're trying to do to earn their trust? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, that distinction I mentioned earlier between trusting and trustworthiness is, is really important because you, you cannot just be trustworthy. For that matter, you can't just be trusting either. You've got to learn to play both roles. Sort of the, the rules of the game, unquote, uh, are such that somebody takes the first risk, you know, and the other person then responds. Well, if you never take the first risk yourself, and no matter how trustworthy you are, there will come a point when that other person says to themselves, hey, wait a minute, you know, I appreciate that you're credible, reliable, honest, Boy Scout, all that stuff, but I'm always the one taking the first risk. So to heck with you. You know, I don't think I trust you after all, which means we need to get adept at trusting others also. And the easiest way to do that, two easy ways. One is be vulnerable yourself. Be willing to put out some, you know, some form of vulnerability in your own. Like, uh, you know, I'm not really sure I know the answer to this or I may be, you know, diving in a bit deep here. And the other one is to notice something in the other person, usually on the emotional side, intimacy or self-orientation. Something as simple as, uh, gee, you look a little nervous right now, or um, you seem a little distracted today. In other words, comment on something about them. Those are small ways of initiating that dance back and forward of trusting and trustworthiness. So before we go any further talking about the trust equation, could you tell people how they can actually figure out their own trustworthiness? Yeah, actually. About 10 years ago, it suddenly dawned on me, duh, that this trust equation might actually make a good self-assessment tool. Hmm. And uh, we put it up on the uh, web and people can now take, uh, you know, rate your own trustworthiness. It's a 20-question thing. It takes four or five minutes. It's free, although there's a, there's a paid version of it that gives you a lot more depth, but the basic is free. And you can find that at trustedadvisor.com slash TQ, TQ like trust quotient, like IQ and EQ. And they actually get a mini report when they do that. What does that look like? Uh, the free one is about uh, two pages long, I think. You, you, know, you answer the 20 questions, hit enter, and you immediately get back a PDF, uh, a couple of pages. It tells you your trust score, you know, where you fall in, in a range. But most importantly, it tells you what your strengths and weaknesses are, the component of the trust equation that you're strongest at and that you're, that you're weakest at. So the trust equation is credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self-orientation. That's right. When you look at people today, when you look at organizations today, where does the trust equation tend to break down? Well, it's um, I would argue you have to look differently at organizations than at people. I think that the most powerful form of trust is one-to-one, individual, interpersonal. And therefore, you can't ascribe uh, the same personal characteristics to organizations that you can to people. For example, is Amazon an intimate organization? I mean, what does that even mean? Much less whether it's self-oriented. So what I've come to believe is that when you talk about organizations, the ideal, what I call a trust-based organization – 
it, it's not characteristics of the organization itself. It's the characteristics of the people within it and all the interactions they have with other people. So my one-liner for it is a trust-based organization is one in which all people behave in trusting and trustworthy ways with all others. Now, as a leader, you know, there are certain things you can do to create an environment that encourages trusting and trustworthiness. But that's the ultimate uh, result. It's not it's not a function of the organization itself. It's it's the collective impact that its people have in all their behaviors and interactions. So when I look at the top level, which has credibility, reliability, and intimacy, I think about your answer earlier when I asked the the first question of the interview. You talked about how you showed up to a sales call and someone asked you, what experience do you have? And I'm wondering, when you're starting off in any business or starting off in anything new, you're not going to have as much credibility. How does that factor into trustworthiness? Well, it's uh, yeah, actually, let's, it's a good example to go through it all there. You're absolutely right. When you're younger, starting off, you do not have a lot of credibility. The first thing you can do to improve your credibility is admit you don't have a lot. And, you know, if I had in that moment had the courage to say, gee, you know, I've been working in this consulting business for two years. I haven't run across that one yet. That enhances your credibility. Oddly enough, the ability to say, I don't know, is about one of the most credible things you can say. Like, who's going to doubt you on that one, right? Similarly, you can't uh, do a lot right then to demonstrate reliability because you just met the person and, and because you're young. The, the probable immediate power alleys you can go to are the intimacy and low self-orientation, which is what my boss did. So let's go ahead and talk about those for a second, because I think this is just an interesting case study on how you can be thinking about the trust equation for your own life. If you do lack certain credibility, obviously be upfront about that. And that helps to to build up your credibility, like you said, in people's minds in some way. But how would you increase intimacy and then change your self-orientation so that your trustworthiness is heightened in people's minds? The intimacy one is not that hard to do. People find it uncomfortable, but you can learn to do it. It's basically, like I said, comment on your own feelings and comment on the feelings of the other person. And all of us have been in some kind of business situation where, you know, you feel constrained. This would be unprofessional for me to say this, or I'm not sure we're at the point where I can have that kind of discussion. And I think we need to get over that. I would suggest there's a difference between what I'll call the private and the personal. I don't think we have any business getting into people's private lives, or if you do, that's between you and the other person. That's unique to the two of you. But if we don't get into the person's what I call personal life, their emotions, what's going on with them in the business world, I mean, the, the, the social and the business world are full of, of um, examples of the range of gamut of human emotions in, in any organizational setting, you've got fear and and uh, success and triumphs and losses and resentments and, you know, the whole range of human emotions. And the way you increase that intimacy is by being willing to talk about that stuff, which is absolutely real. The self-orientation one, I've, I've come to think it's more a life's work. It's hard to get over yourself. It's not something I figured out, you know, oh, blinding flash of light. It's kind of, uh, you know, a work in progress over life, learning more and more that, you know, People don't care about me that much, and that's not a bad thing. It means I don't have to worry all the time. I can focus on other people and not take things personally, you know, train yourself to, to understand things from the other person's perspective. So I'm rambling a bit here, but hopefully that was a little bit responsive. No, absolutely. Now, as, as I think 
to this as someone is getting older they may gain more credibility at least that's the hope yep does that just tend to heighten people's trustworthiness or is it possible that other things might lower or might change to keep the trustworthiness from i guess rising any more than it already is yeah that's that's a great question it, it turns out we um we, we took that TQ exam that I mentioned to you. Over 100,000 people have taken it. And when we hit the 70,000 level, we stepped back and said, let's take a snapshot. What are we learning from this? So you touched on one of the things that we learned. The biggest correlation in there was age. The older the people were, the more trustworthy they got or to be technical, the higher the score that they got on the trust equation. And it went up with every factor. The older you were, the more credible you got, the more reliable, the better at intimacy, the lower self-orientation. And I think it makes good common sense. You know, as you get older, first of all, you have more experience. Second of all, as a general rule, most of us get a little wiser. You know, the hormones slow down a bit. We don't take things quite as uh, as personally or seriously. So that was the single biggest finding. The most interesting one, I think, is a, is a two-parter. It turns out well, let me, let me give you a chance to guess this one, Josh. Men or women? Who do you think scores more highly on the trust quotient, men or women? Who's more trustworthy, men or women? I would guess that women are rated more highly. You are absolutely correct. And um, uh, not only that, but uh, when I give talks on this, I've given maybe 300 over the past, I don't know, five, six years or so. And I ask audiences. And out of that 300, literally 297 of them, that's 99%. As a group, I say, who do you think? Most of them throw up their hands, women. 99% of the group say that, uh, which tells me we're tapping into something very commonsensical. Um, it turns out also, we'll give you another guess here, Josh. Uh, most of the difference between men and women is women outperforming on one <clears throat> of those four variables. Can you guess which one it is? Credibility, reliability, intimacy, or low self-orientation? I would guess intimacy. You are absolutely right again. Man, I'm good. You're very good. <laughs> Although, again, most audiences also guess that one. Oh, man. And finally, just to put a cap on all that, there are surveys done, not by us, but by Pew, Yankelovich, Gallup polls, and so forth, over many years that look at most and least trusted professions. And everybody can guess at the bottom. You always find politicians, lawyers, and used car salesmen. <laughs> Uh, but interestingly, people have a harder time guessing the top, the most trusted profession, year in, year out, very dependable. You want to take a shot at that one? I don't know what I would guess here. What would okay. it be? Uh, well, most people guess you know, teachers, doctors, that kind of thing. Turns out it's nursing. Interesting. All you have to do is look at the news these days with the nurses prominently. It makes total sense. And I think if there's any, just to close the loop here, if there's any one factor that nurses are best at, uh, and nursing, by the way, is an 89% female profession in the U.S., but whether it's a male nurse, female nurse, doesn't matter. It's probably intimacy that nurses have to be fabulous at. We have to be utterly comfortable. You look at them taking on the roles of, of loved ones when there are people who are, who are dying and can't be with their family. Nurses step into the breach. It's, it's absolutely all about intimacy. So the punchline to all this is it turns out the single most powerful factor in the trust equation is intimacy. And I say that as a statistical conclusion and I think a commonsensical conclusion. That's the key. Let me ask you this. It seems like intimacy and self-orientation 
are probably somewhat connected to where when intimacy is higher, self-orientation might be lower. Does that seem to be the case? Because if, if that is the case, it makes sense why intimacy is so important at the top level of the credibility, reliability, and intimacy. Do you think that's the case or is that not necessarily a connected factor? Well, it's not necessarily, but it is connected. You're right. And in fact, the second highest factor, and I'm talking about when you run a regression analysis here, the second one is self-orientation. And they do kind of go together. You can't be uh, enormously uh, self-focused and be good at intimacy unless you're kind of a uh, a sociopath or, or a really good con man. And there are those, of course, uh, you know, good con men lead with intimacy. But for the most part, yes, if you're, there's a correlation, like you said, and it makes sense for the reasons you said. Well, Charles, I really have appreciated our discussion on trust today. And before we finish up our interview, one of the things that I always like to ask is, is there anything that we haven't really talked about today that you would like to bring to the conversation that I may not have known to ask or something that you think is just so important that it's worth reiterating? Yeah, let me reiterate two things that we talked about, the importance of listening and the importance of being curious. Uh, and I guess I'd add a third one to that, sort of my own personal life lesson. I'm 69 years old at this point. Been thinking about all this, and for me, the biggest single life lesson has been: get over yourself. You know, we're not we're not this. We may be the center of our own preoccupations, but we're not the center of anybody else's preoccupations. They're the center of their preoccupations, and the key to success is being able to get out of your own head. Don't take yourself so seriously. Focus on other people. Be curious about them. Listen to them. And paradoxically, your life ends up being better because of your ability to focus on other people. Well, Charles, thank you so much for your time today. Before you go, remind people where they can go to take the Trust Quotient Quiz and where else they can go to learn more about you and the work that you do. Sure. The main website is trustedadvisor.com. That's spelled with an O-R, T-R-U-S-T-E-D-A-D-V-I-S-O-R.com. And if you add slash T-Q to the end of that, you will find that trust quotient quiz that we talked about. And Josh, I want to thank you, by the way, for, for um, allowing me on here. It's been a pleasure talking with you, and it's great to sort of have a, these conversations. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, Charles, thank you once again for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed Charles on the podcast today. If you would like to take the trust quotient assessment, go to trustedadvisor.com slash TQ. Once again, that's trustedadvisor.com slash TQ. Now let's go ahead and get to today's three key takeaways. The first one, we have to go to the trust equation for this. That is C plus R plus I divided by S. In other words, credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self-orientation. One of the things that I really appreciated from what Charles said is that sometimes the best way to begin to increase your credibility is to admit you don't have lots of it, especially if you're starting off. The second key takeaway is that the more self-oriented you are, the less trustworthy you tend to be. Charles mentioned that self-orientation is the second most important factor in the trust equation. And really, the more that you're focused on yourself and the less you're focused on other people and their success, the less trustworthy you're perceived to be. 
And while that was the second most important factor, this leads us to the third key takeaway, which is the most important factor in the trust equation, and that is intimacy. Intimacy is the single most powerful factor in the trust equation, and this is something that some of you probably don't like to hear. But if you feel like this is an area that you're not very well-versed in or very capable in, one thing that Charles mentioned is simple, and that's this. To build intimacy, simply begin by commenting on your own feelings and the feelings of other people. As you connect with people in appropriate and meaningful ways, intimacy will be built between you, which will increase your trustworthiness in their eyes. One other thing that Charles mentioned earlier in the episode was one thing he would recommend leaders start doing this week is to do a better job of listening. So I want to recommend two episodes to you that will help you in this endeavor if it's something that sounds like it could be helpful for you. And those are episodes 20 and 30. Episode 20 is The Surprising Power of Empathy-Based Listening with Eric Maddox. Eric Maddox is the guy that is directly responsible for the intel that led to the capture of Saddam Hussein, and he has some amazing insight from his years working as an interrogator who was really effective by using empathy-based listening. And the second episode is episode 30 with Oscar Trimboli, and he talks about how listening can be used to help others understand themselves. I was just talking to someone last week who was talking about how important and how impactful this particular episode with Oscar Trimboli has been on their lives. So I encourage you, check out episodes 20 and 30, and you can just go to lifeasleadership.com slash 020 or lifeasleadership.com slash 030. These are going to be linked in the show notes, which can be found in your podcast player or at lifeasleadership.com slash 092. Now, I hope you'll join us for our next episode because our guest is someone who has written a book that's focused on saving face, helping other people save face in awkward or difficult situations, and you're going to find yourself in these situations. Sometimes it's hard to know what exactly to do, but our guest is going to be sharing with us some insight on how to help others save face and preserve relationships. This is obviously connected to some of what we've talked about today with building trust. This is going to be a great back-to-back combo, so I hope you will join us again for that episode. If you've not yet subscribed, I encourage you to go ahead and do that now. Either way, I hope to see you then. And until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. 
The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, Business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If Business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon, and until then, keep living and leading well.